These past few weeks, we have been studying the book of Daniel in a series entitled Fearless. I have greatly enjoyed preaching through the book of Daniel, and I hope that you have learned and have been challenged through the lessons of this book. In correlation with this series, we have a 168 challenge. Some of you may have forgotten it, but I'm here to remind you about it again. A few days ago, I was hungry, as I usually am, uh, late at night, so I invited my wife, honey, let's go get some food. And it's great to have the Banawi district, which is very close, and uh, we found a new restaurant off one of the side streets. And we sat down, it was about 11 o'clock at night, and uh, we were the only ones there, and uh, the very friendly manager came, uh, and, uh, and we started a conversation. And uh, I had a card, uh, a church card in my wallet, and so I, I gave it to her, and I said, uh, if you have time, auntie, we'd, we'd love for you to come to church. Looked at the card, and so I know Grace, uh, I know Grace, uh, my, my uncle, my aunt used to teach at Grace. I said, that's great, why don't you come if you have the opportunity? Well, guess what I got by giving her a card? I got a free meal. As <laughs> so I've shared you stories, this card can get you out of traffic tickets, now it gets you free meals. If I were you, I'd be carrying this card around all the time. But on the more serious side, we as a staff, as we share uh, weekly about what God has been doing in the church, we've seen how really God has used this challenge to, to bring people back to the Lord and, and back to church. And, and just, just stories, just I heard last week of how one person who had not been to church or has not walked with the Lord for 15 years, uh, one of our church members uh, taking up the challenge in her place of work said, uh, if you're seeking, here's a card. And she got a card and she looked at the website and she came and she was blessed. And there are other countless stories like that, many new friendships that have been made. And this is an opportunity that all of us have been given to serve the Lord. And it's a project. So if we do it all together, you're not the only one. There are five more weeks and I, I really hope that you're going to pray about it. As God gives you the opportunity and has given you tons of opportunities, how many parties have you been to since we started this series? All right? So I, I want you to feel uncomfortable. I need you to get out of your comfort zone. I need you all to be doing the work that God has entrusted His children, which is to spread the gospel and to, to disciple them and, and raise them up and encourage them in walking with the Lord. So pray about that. Bathe it in prayer. This is a spiritual thing. It's not an accomplishment uh, that people can do. I'm sure some of you may have invited a lot of people, but they've turned you down. This is a spiritual war. You're fighting for the hearts and minds of people from the evil one of this world. So pray about that. Now speaking about prayer, let me ask how your prayer life is. Uh, are your prayers shallow or are they of true depth? Is there a sincerity in your prayer? Is there a genuineness? Your prayers set us a lot about your spiritual life. It's been said, tell me about your prayer life. And I can tell you how your walk with the Lord is. Well, as we continue our series in the book of Daniel, we come to one of the most powerful prayers in all of the scriptures. We come to Daniel's prayer of confession before the Lord. It's found in Daniel chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. We're going to take a look at verses 1 to 19. Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Here in these 19 verses is a very powerful prayer of confession. 
prayed to a merciful God. From this prayer, we want to draw out four very important spiritual life lessons and principles that we in our life need to live out. Four lessons we're going to draw out from Daniel's prayer. In verses 1 to 2 of Daniel chapter 9, Daniel gives a historical framework for his prayer. Look at verse 1 and 2 of Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, in the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books and the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. The historical context is that this is the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede of the Persian Empire. It's been about 66 years since Daniel has been exiled out of Israel as a young man. He's, he's probably well over his 80 years old. The empire of Babylon has been thrown into disarray, has been overthrown by the Persian Empire by King Cyrus I. During this time of great upheaval, during this type of great uncertainty, you know what faithful Daniel was doing? Daniel was studying the Bible and Daniel was praying. What a great example to us. In times of great upheaval and uncertainty, we look to the scripture for assurance and we ask God for help. While he's doing a Bible study, and he happened to be doing a Bible study in the book of Jeremiah. That's why even way back then, Daniel realized the book of Jeremiah was the inspired word of God. He came to the realization of Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 to 12, that God had prophesied that the Jewish captivity under the Babylonians would last for 70 years. It would be 70 years that the Israelites would be in exile before they would re return back to their homeland. And Daniel was excited because this prophecy was about to be fulfilled. The Babylonians had been overthrown. Now, God will fulfill his promise, prophecy and allow the Israelites to go back home. And historically, we find out later that the Persians allowed the Jews to go back to the promised land. And Daniel was excited. But Daniel realized there was something more important before the fulfillment of this great prophetic event. It was that the hearts and the minds and the attitudes of these people must be ready for the time that they must go home. And the preparation of heart and the changing of attitude must first begin with him. You see, Daniel remembered the reason why they were exiled in the first place. The reason they were exiled in the land of Babylon in the first place was because the Israelites had disobeyed God. And this is how God had stated he would deal with his people in the Mosaic Covenant of Deuteronomy chapter 28. He says, if you obey me, I will bring you blessings. If you disobey me, I will discipline you. It's very simple. Obedience leads to blessing. Disobedience leads to discipline and curse. And therefore, the people needed to confess their sins as a people. And, and here in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, Daniel would pray on behalf of his people to a merciful God, a very powerful prayer of confession. Now, how will this apply to us? As we as Christians living in the church age, we are anticipating the rapture of the church. We are anticipating when Christ calls us home. And until that time, we must be prepared to acknowledge the four spiritual truths and life lessons as found in Daniel's prayer. 
Verse 3 speaks of his attitude. Take a look. Then I set my face towards the Lord God to, to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel demonstrates a proper attitude of prayer. It is one of humility, one of reverence, one of transparency and honesty. You see, too many of us, and I'm speaking as myself included, too many people come to prayer with such a prideful attitude as if we're simply going through the motion, as if when we pray, God should be happy that we're praying. But Daniel recognized the God to whom we pray. He is a proper focus and a proper attitude towards the great God. And he comes to God with a reverent, humble attitude of prayer. And what does he pray? Look at verse 4, where we draw out our first spiritual lesson. Verse 4. And I pray to the God, the Lord my God, and make confession and say, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. The first part of Daniel's prayer is the acknowledgement that God is characteristically a good God. We often forget this. Daniel recognized the fact that the reason they were exiled in Babylon was because the people had disobeyed God and were being punished. It was not because God had stopped being good. Daniel reminded God and himself through this prayer that God is the one who keeps his promises and God is a merciful God. God is, Daniel is stating that God is a good God. And that's a very important spiritual lesson we need to learn. Spiritual lesson number one, if you're taking notes. The world is evil and full of problems, but God is a good God. The world is an evil and full of problems, but God is a good God. The world is evil, the world is full of problems, but God is a good God. My friends, the problem of this world is caused by sin. It was caused by Adam's sin, the fall of man. And it is caused by our sins, the decisions we make to do it our own way, to trust in ourselves. It is because of a sinful world that there is sickness, that there is hardship, there are difficulties in life, there is evil. And yes, it is not fair. And life is not fair. The reason life is not fair is because this world is sinful. But do not blame God. God is not the author of sin. God is inherently good. In spite of the things that go wrong in your life, God is a good God. And especially to parents, you must instill this in your young child's mind, that our God is a good God. Beat it into their heads, our God is a good God. You see, if you don't instill this great truth into their lives, when they grow up and they encounter the first problem, you know who they will blame. They will inherently blame God, especially if they grow up in a Christian family or go to church. Because we've been telling them that God is an amazing God and God is a, a, a perfect God and God is a powerful God. And if you don't teach them about the goodness of God, then when something goes wrong in their life, they will blame God. It is not because of Him that these things happen. It is because of the sin of this world that is the effects of the curse of the sin. And it has a damaging effect. The sinfulness of this world brings about sickness and diseases and accidents and, and fighting amongst brothers and, and friends. But it is because there is a good God who hears our prayers that we can call upon Him. Corrie ten Boom, who survived 
the horrors of the Holocaust teaches us well about the goodness of God. She writes, deep in our hearts, we all believe in a good God, and we all do. Yet how shallow is our understanding of His goodness, especially since we see many things that seem to deny it. We have a very shallow view of God's goodness. She writes in her book, oftentimes I've heard people say, how good God is. I pray that it would not rain on my church picnic, and it did not rain. God is a good God. But then she poses a question, what if it did rain on your church picnic? Is God still a good God? Yes, she writes, God is good when he sends good weather. But God is also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. That was caused by the sin of man. But our good God gives us the grace and the peace and the strength to be able to take one step at a time to get through these issues. The world is evil and full of problems, but our God is a good God. Spiritual lesson number two is found in verse five to verse six. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophet, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. In verse 5 to 6, Daniel begins his confession, and he acknowledges that we have sinned. Now, you may say, wait, Daniel was a good man. Daniel walked faithfully with God. But as every spiritual man knows, he is not perfect. And Daniel recognized that as, as good as he was, he was not perfect. And therefore, he was a sinner. And even though we may not fault him, he identified with his Jewish people. He says a collective we, God, your people, we have sinned. Now, what great sin did Daniel confess before the Lord? Jump down to verse 10. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, to walk in his ways, which he sets before us by his servant, the prophet. The great sin that Daniel confesses before the Lord is that the people have disobeyed. They have departed from their precepts, God's precepts, God's truth and instructions. Verse 5, verse 10, verse 14 speaks of this great sin of disobedience. And here Daniel's prayer reveals to us another great spiritual lesson. Spiritual lesson number two. Faithful obedience to his command is what God desires. Faithful obedience to His commands is what God desires. Faithful obedience to His command is what God desires. The simple lesson of obedience, to obey or not to obey, is often a lesson we teach our children. But we forget that as adults, it applies to us as well. Do we obey or do we disobey God? You see, at the end of the day, Scripture teaches us that God simply desires His children to obey Him and to obey what He has revealed in His Word. That's all that God desires. Children, do you obey? It is better to obey than to sacrifice. It is better to obey than to do all the things that are spiritual. The Bible simply asks of His children, obey. 
you know, when we raise up our children, we teach them obedience. But when we teach them obedience, we ask them the wrong question. When our children do something wrong, what question do we ask them? Why? Why did you do it? Why did you hit your sister? Why did you jump on the bed? Why did you not share? Why did you spit out that food? Why do you not refuse to eat this food? Why don't you go to bed? Right? We all ask that, or it's been asked of us. Now, what sort of answer are we expecting? Think about that. What sort of answer expecting? Little Johnny, why did you hit your sister? I don't know, Daddy. I I like to. I mean, what do we expect them to answer? Why didn't you eat the food? Great question. Here's my answer. I don't want to eat. I don't like your food. And then we get frustrated. And yet we ask the question, why? Do you know the answer to your question whenever you ask them why? I'll give you the answer. The reason why they do it is because we are sinners. Why did you hit your sister? Because the children are sinful as we all are. So when you ask the question, why, to your kids, what do you expect them to answer? Well, mom and dad, I learned that my old nature is fighting with my new nature. And this time the old nature got the better of me. Mom and dad, you know, when Adam sinned, he caused uh, uh, the curse of God on the human race. And the reason I jumped on my bed was because of Adam. That is what you are asking when you're asking the question, why? Why did you do it? I don't know. I know you want them to make, make them feel sorry for what they did, but they don't know it themselves, especially when they're young children. They don't know. They, they, they do it because they're sinful. You don't need to ask the question why. That's the wrong question. When they do something wrong, you ask the question what. W-H-A-T, what. If you know your children have done something wrong or your child has done something wrong, you ask them, what did you do? Well, mommy, I hit my sister. What did I tell you? Well, mommy, you told me not to hit my sister. So what did you do? You want to get them to a point where they say, I disobeyed. I disobeyed. You see, when they come to that realization that they have disobeyed, then they have learned the lesson. You see, if you ask them why, they will give you 101 justification. Why did you hit your sister? Well, she hit me first. Right? Why didn't you share? Well, he took the toy away from me. You will hear 101 reasons, and you will be looping down this cycle of questioning why. But you've asked them what. It gets to the point of the issue. The point of the issue is that they have disobeyed. What they did wrong was that they disobeyed. Now, interestingly, if you look at Scripture, if you look at all of the commands of Scripture, there's a lot of them, how we should walk, how we should live, but there's only one command for children. What's that command? Children, obey your parents, for it pleases the Lord. We have a lot of rules for our kids, but the Bible only has one, obey. Now, why was obedience so important that God wanted parents to teach their children obedience. And this lesson of obedience is so important because as they grow up, if they learn obedience, then we can easily transfer obedience to parents 
to obedience to a heavenly father. But if you cannot obey now, or you never learn the lesson of obedience, then how do you expect your kids to grow up and obey a God that they cannot see? You see, the lesson of obedience must be taught at a young age. You must ask the question, what? But it doesn't matter how old you are. That is the question God is going to ask each one of us when we see Him face to face. Steve, what did you do with the life that I give you? Steve, what did I tell you in the scriptures about how you are supposed to live your life? So what did you do with your life? Your answer is either, I obeyed your word, God, or I disobeyed. He doesn't ask us the question, why? Because he doesn't want to hear our excuses. Faithful obedience to his command is what God desires. Spiritual lesson number three. In verses 7 to 15, Daniel confesses that the Jewish people have disobeyed God and that they deserve the consequences. Look at verse 8 of Daniel chapter 9. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face to our kings, our princes, and our fathers because we have sinned against you. Jump down to verse 11. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the, law, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. Daniel acknowledges in his prayer that all that God has done to his promised people is something that they deserve. The exile, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, all of these things are deserved consequences to their willful disobedience. Spiritual lesson number three. There are consequences to willful disobedience. There are consequences to willful disobedience. There are consequences to willful disobedience. You know, a lot of things that happen to us in our life, we don't think we deserve. But you see, when we look honestly at our life, it is because we have not obeyed God. When God gave us His Word, it's not to, to shackle our lives, to hold us down. When God gives us His Word on how we are to live our life in a holy and pleasing way, it is to save us. It is to free us. It is to give us a life that is happy and joyful and guilt-free. It is because we do not follow God's prescription on how to live life that we get ourselves into trouble. My friends, I'm speaking generalities, but there are a lot of things in your life that are happening because you have chosen to willfully ignore and disobey the law of God. Don't think it is not within God's right to punish you. Accept the consequences. Accept that you deserve it. Very few of us will pray a prayer such as, Lord, the trials I'm going through are caused by me. I acknowledge that. I confess that. Forgive me. But we've got to understand, you will reap what you sow, and the Bible teaches that. I don't know why this relationship between parents and, uh, and, and children have, have weighed heavily on me this week. Perhaps it's been a rough week for my wife and I as our kids have, have really acted up. 
But I was thinking a lot about this. And, you know, a lot of parents think that they can simply send their children to church or Sunday school and that their children will miraculously walk with the Lord. But my friends, the reality is, yes, they learn spiritual truths here at this church and at any church. But they learn more from you than from their friends, their teachers, their church. Because as you are relating to them, it doesn't matter what you think is right is wrong. It is what you model for them. You can tell them, do not steal, do not steal. But you buy pirated DVDs. It's right here, right? Yeah. You are telling them, yes, I believe that do not steal is correct, but I don't practice it. So you know what? When you grow up, you can steal, but just say you don't steal. It is what you model for them that they will learn. Your children are watching you. And the impact of how they live their life is how you live your life. Not what you tell them is right or wrong. They're watching how you model the Christian life for them. And I realize that is a heavy burden on parents. But guess what? That is the burden of responsibility we as parents have when God has blessed us with children. Where you place your priorities in your life is where they will place the priorities of their life. How you speak to your spouse growing up is how they will speak to your spouse. And, and I was reminded of this recently this week. My son is a smart kid. He watches. Sometimes I pray, God, would you just make him not so smart? And he knows how to answer back at the age of six. And when I reprimand him, Andrew, you do not speak to your mom that way. You know what he told me? Well, Daddy, you will yell at mom also. And yes, you know what? There is truth in that. You model for your children how you want them to live your life. If there's anger that comes out of you, then anger will come out of them. If they see you mistreat and not care for your parents and your grandparents, then they will grow up and they will treat you the same way. How do you model church for them? Do you place it as a priority? Because if you don't place it as a priority and come when you feel like it, guess what? When they get older, they'll only come when they feel like it. Now, I'm not saying all of the responsibility of who they are as children can be blamed to their parents. When they grow up, they will answer to God for themselves. What I'm saying is you are setting the foundation for your children on how they are to walk with God. And how you walk with God will model itself in the life of your children. And that's why we at church, some people ask, you know, in your church activities, things like, you know, child dedication and weddings and baptism, why are you so strict at this church? And yes, we are strict. The rules demand a lot out of you. Yes. Because we do not do dead activities here. When we ask you, would you like your child dedicated? That's great. That is a spiritual milestone in the life of your child because as a family and as parents, you come up and you say to the congregation, I desire to raise my child up in the things and ways of the Lord. And guess what? If you say that before the public, but you don't even attend church, then you are living a hypocritical life. 
And so we don't do dead activities here, dead spiritual activities. It must mean something. When we deliberately disobey God and not follow His word, then we will reap the consequences and you have no one to blame but yourself. That is a spiritual truth we have forgotten. There are consequences to willful disobedience. Spiritual lesson number four. The final part of this prayer, verse 16 to 19, is a request by Daniel for God to base his judgment on his mercies. Basically, a call for God to be merciful to his people and his holy city of Jerusalem. Would you look at the pivotal verse of verse 18? Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. Would you underline this part of the verse? The second part of verse 18. For we do not present our supplication before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. We do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Daniel says, I come to you, God, not because I deserve anything, but because, God, you are merciful. And therein lies spiritual lesson number four. When you pray... Appeal to God's mercy and not to what we deserve. When you pray, appeal to God's mercy and not to what we deserve. When we pray, we're asking a good God for His compassion, just as a judge would show mercy to one who was rightfully deserving of a sentence. That's mercy. There's an illustration of a mother who once came to Emperor Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a, a certain offense twice and injustice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. Napoleon said, but your son does not deserve mercy. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well then, Napoleon says, I will have mercy. Daniel asked that God would hear his prayer and restore. Would you look favorably, God, at, at your people and at your sanctuary for your sake? The Jewish people did not deserve this favor from God. They had willfully disobeyed him. And so Daniel does not approach God and say, Hey, God, we were pretty good a few years of our history. There were some of us who were good. He simply says, God, I appeal to your mercy, not to the nation's righteousness. You know, in a lot of our prayers, including mine sometimes, although we may not say it, we think it, God, you owe me one. You owe me this one. Answer my prayer because you owe me I've been good. I've walked in your way. I've given up this and that for you. You owe me this one. And I can just feel God reminding us when we say you owe me one. God will say, I owe you nothing. I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place. You owe me your life. 
we appeal to God's mercy when we pray. Interestingly, Daniel does not specify what God should do. He only said, God, look at my sanctuary. Look at your sanctuary in your city. It's been destroyed for many years. Do as you wish. You see, when we ask for mercy, we don't have a right to demand from God what we want. You know, a lot of us pray. We tell God what we want, and we want God's stamp of approval. We want God to come alongside and approve everything we ask. That's all he's good for. Say approve, God. If you don't say approve, I'm walking out of here. But that's not asking with an attitude of mercy. An attitude of mercy is an appeal. God, if it is your will, would you grant this request to someone as undeserving as me? If you come before God and think you deserve something, and when he doesn't give it to you, guess what you're going to think? You're going to think he's not a very good God. But if you come to God on your knees saying, God, you are... We are undeserving, but you, in your great mercy, give it to us that we will focus on his goodness. So when we pray, we pray not as one who can demand anything, but we appeal to a God of mercy who is faithful and who loves us. We do not fear. Hebrews says we come with boldness, confidence to the shed blood of Jesus Christ to ask God, God, What is your will for this situation? Would you be merciful enough to grant my request? Chip Ingram often says, Information doesn't bring transformation. Application brings transformation. So how will you apply this in your life? You know these truths. They are not new. You've heard them before. How do you apply these four spiritual lessons? The world is evil and full of problems, but God is a good God. How would you apply that? Do you think daily about the goodness of God? Do you course correct how you think? Do you think about how good God is and what he has done for you in your life? Faithful obedience to his command is what God desires. A simple question you ask in your life, am I obeying? No why questions. Well, God, this and that. Do I faithfully obey? When brought to a situation with childlike faith and childlike obedience, you either obey or you don't. Will you apply that to your life? There are consequences to your willful disobedience. Will you acknowledge those consequences? Say, Lord, I have sinned. These things have happened. I make restitution. I make change in my life. I do not wish to live in willful disobedience anymore. I know it's wrong. And a lot of people who come to church know things are wrong, but they walk out the same way they left, or they, they came in. Church for them is a, is a prickly reminder, but that's about it. Thanks, pastor, for the reminder. Thanks, God, for the movement in my heart, but eh, you don't know the real world, God. You're telling the God of the universe who created the entire world, that he doesn't know how the world functions. That's quite presumptuous of us. So will you change? If something is wrong, then you change. It's as simple as that. When you pray, appeal to God's mercy and not to what we deserve. When you pray, is it with a prayer of attitude that you come before God and say, Lord, 
I deserve nothing. But because of your great mercy and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, would you hear, would you hear my prayer? And I will humbly accept your decision, knowing that that decision comes from a loving God, from a God who invites me to himself. Can you imagine that? We don't have to crawl our way to God. There is an invitation from a merciful God that says, Come, tell me your problems, my children. Perhaps because of that invitation that we get a little bit cocky. But that invitation is also the invitation of a merciful God that says, Come, come as you are, but come with humility. It is my prayer that these four spiritual lessons from Daniel's prayer will remind us just how truly good and merciful our God is so that we will live in faithful obedience to His Word so as not to get ourselves in trouble. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word, which always corrects and challenges. Your Word, which calls us to change, calls us to life transformation. And I admit there are times when I come to you, Lord, and I come with pride. I come saying in my heart that you owe me this, God. But I humble myself again as I realize you have given your son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty of sin to purchase my life. It is I who owe you everything. Help me to always think about your mercy and your goodness. A good God who looks down upon me. A good God who is patient, gracious, loving. Father, forgive me and forgive us when there are times when we question your goodness. But help us to understand that you are always a good God. Help us to live in willful obedience because we know your word. Help us not to claim ignorance. Help us to live out simply obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.